I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Red alert. All hands stand to battle stations. Luck as falls and attack positions. Prepare for battle! Autobots, roll out! Get ready, it's your weekly dose of nerd culture. All wings report in. With your crew, Obi-John Kenobi. Hello there. Commander Scott. Nothing amazing about it. I know this ship like the back of my hand. Julian. You tell him I'm coming! And hell's coming with me, you hear? And the Doc. Great Scott. Movies, TV, streaming, video games, comic books, board games, toys, collectibles, cosplay, conventions. If it's happening in the world of geekdom, we're talking about it. So lock and load, bag and board, and roll for initiative. We've got your... Nerd alert. Hello there, it's Obi-John Kenobi, your favorite host in all of podcasting, <clears throat> coming to you with your weekly Nerd Alert. Uh, please forgive my voice, I'm a bit under the weather, uh, but joining me this week for a very, very special episode, and I mean that in like the 90s sitcom, like very special episode kind of way. <laughs> Because we're going to talk about some very serious topics this week, kids. Um, no, we're not. It's, it's called Nerd Alert. We're not going to talk about anything serious. Joining me uh, for a special episode and uh, our continuing month-long theme month of fantasy. Uh, last week, we talked about favorite fantasy movies in the era before the Lord of the Rings movies. Um, this week, we're taking a little break on our kind of like journey through the genre to talk about one element from the fantasy genre that i love and there's no way i could talk about this without my co-host this week joining us from somewhere in time and space via the delorean it's the doc by the power of grayskull i have the power for the honor of grayskull i am shira <laughs> I think I could Wait. rock that dress, huh? Yeah, what? I think so. Yeah. <laughs> um, I got the cutest picture of my uh, my goddaughter dressed up as she were the other day. It's adorable. Uh, anyway, no, we are here to talk about. Uh, in case the doc didn't spoil it, um, my favorite part of fantasy, and I'm going to go out on a limb here and guess a big part of why the doc loves fantasy, which is the crazy awesome weapons. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, we are we are um, appreciators, uh, lovers, even uh, aficionados of cool weapons and the fantasy genre. I mean, when your world is founded in you know magic and uh, sorcery and things like you know dragons and in uh, forges of the gods and stuff, you can get some pretty crazy weapons going. So we're going to spend this whole episode, however long it ends up being, talking about our favorite fantasy weapons. Um, and I believe we both have 10. Yep. So I think we're just going to do this like a top 10 list. <coughs> Pardon me. Um, so uh, in no particular order, here are our, here are our, there we go, uh, favorite fantasy weapons. Uh, Jay. I'm going to let you go first, buddy. Start us out. 
Uh, okay. Also, uh, be prepared to hear a lot of, oh, that was on my list. Uh, yeah, the yeah. entire episode, yeah. Uh, I'm going to start us off with one that I debated on adding to the list. And to me, it's it's not just a weapon. It It's also a character. Um, okay. And it is, it's its own character, but in my opinion, it is weaponized in the film. Okay. Okay. So I'm going to kick us off with no other badass weapon than a dragon. And you don't get more badass of a dragon than Toothless. He is a Night Fury. He is the last Night Fury. Whitney would very much appreciate it. <laughs> uh, I just, you've got a Viking riding a dragon. That itself is scary. I mean, yeah, I know it's a kid's cartoon, but. Yeah, those movies get pretty intense, man. Yes, they do. The second one gets really dark. <laughs> well, I mean, the, the main character loses an appendage in the first movie. It's true. <laughs> he does. Uh, but Shit gets real pretty fast in those movies, man. Yeah. I mean, so I added that to the list because I was like, okay, to me, How to Train Your Dragon is a fantasy movie. Oh, absolutely, um, absolutely. And it's got a lot of lore to it, a lot of background, um, and there's a great camaraderie between Toothless and Hiccup, and Toothless is his own character. Uh, I believe when they created Toothless, they said they wanted to combine the best traits of a cat and the best traits of a dog in this dragon. Um, and that's basically what you get. And he's just awesome. But um, he's, to me, he's a weapon. He is a dangerous weapon. Well, and... <coughs> excuse me. I totally agree with you. Uh, and we will absolutely be talking more about the How to Change Your Dragon franchise uh, next week. <clears throat> but Toothless is awesome. Um, his what makes him special is his. So in in the series, there are dozens of different species of dragon, and he the night fairies. And correct me if I'm wrong, Jay, because it's been a minute since I watched these. The night fairy can essentially be invisible at night, and instead of breathing fire, he has this like purple blue energy thing he shoots like, out of his mouth yeah it's like an exploding ball of flame that just yeah. like erupts so they're like these like the dragon equivalent of like a dive bomber basically they swoop in seemingly out of nowhere destroy a target and fly out again yeah uh and then in the first movie anyway um so hiccup the main character gets a book uh, that is supposed to be like all the knowledge these Vikings have about dragons. Because at the start of the first movie, the Vikings and the dragons are like mortal enemies. Um, so he's learning up on like, oh, this kind like, you know, drinks water from the ocean and then boils it inside their stomach and spits it out as like boiling salt water and, you know, things like that. And then he gets to the Night Fury page and literally it's just blank. Like they don't know anything about him. Which automatically makes the character cool because when you're a mystery, you know, it makes you cool. Uh, and then over the course of the movies, we get to know this Night Fury, uh, and you know he's as terrifying as he might be. He's he's still kind of a dumb puppy, uh, which is why we love him. 
<laughs> uh, yeah. So totally awesome to put them on the list. Uh, and I would not have called that because when you said how to tame your dragon, my mind went to a different weapon. And I don't Ooh. know if it's on your list. It 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 was not on mine, but now you... I'm really mad at myself for not including it. The if it's if in part two, because Hiccup's uh thing is he's he's not like strong, but he's smart. So rather than like brute force his way out of a problem, he always tries to outthink it. So in the second movie, he designs for himself essentially uh a medieval Viking dragon lightsaber yeah it's a great way to describe it <laughs> okay is it on your list it's not and okay good it wasn't on mine either but we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and call our first uh um call our first audible of the show because it needs to be on here because it's awesome it uh, is. it's <clears throat> it's essentially like an extendable baton uh everything's uh in everything folds up into the the hilt i guess you'd call it um but then there's three sections that fold out like an extendable baton and inside the pommel is this gas that they discover for one of the dragon types in the first movie. Uh, it's a two-headed dragon. One one head spits out this gas. The other head breathes like a spark, and it ignites the gas. So he's taken that gas, put it inside the pommel, and then throughout the uh, like extendable sections are little holes where the gas like gets pumped through. And then there's like a uh, spark thing on the sword. So he literally has a collapsible, portable, flaming sword. Yep. It's awesome. You can't really get more. I'm disappointed I didn't think of that either because, oh, man, that thing's awesome. Um, there have been lots of toys of it, but none of them have been uh, quite up to, to, to my liking. And, yes, I bought, like, three of them. Um Because it's awesome. It is. Uh, it, I, I remember when the trailer for Part 2 came out. And I remember thinking, so in part one, Hiccup is this tall, lanky, nerdy, um, prepubescent teenager. And then in part two, he's wearing dragon hide armor, head to toe, flying on a night fury, carrying a, uh, you know, a flaming lightsaber. I'm like, okay. Some interesting character development. Yeah. And you're Uh, on board. That's the crazy thing is like. I buy this. <laughs> and at the end of part three, he is apparently John Krasinski. So yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, but again, we'll be talking about those movies more later, but uh, no, dude, that's a great first pick. And I, I had to call that because that, that, that weapon's just too cool not to talk about. Yeah, for sure. Uh, well then go ahead and give me your, uh, your, your next pick then. Cause we both had one then. Okay. Uh, so, you know what's cool is swords. Really? I did not know that. And you know what's even cooler than a sword? Mm. Is the sword of a demigod. I swear to God, if you're about to pick my number one, I'm going to be pissed. <laughs> what's even cooler than the sword of a demigod is the sword of a demigod that was gifted to you by your father who is the god of all Greek gods. Okay, we're good. Okay. So my next pick is um, Harp from Clash of the Titans. Nice. Uh, It is Perseus's sword that Mm -hmm. he is given to, Zeus gives it to him. Um, I believe he gets a polished shield from Athena. 
and he gets uh, winged sandals In from Flash? Hermes. <clears throat> he gets or is the... it... oh no no he gets he doesn't get that's in the actual mythology. No, no, in, in Clash of Titans, he gets he gets a uh, helmet from Athena. He gets a I think the sword is from Aphrodite, which never made sense to me because she's like the goddess of love. Why is she giving out swords? Um, the shield I think is from Hera. Yeah, it's so he in the a, in the remake he gets everything from Zeus, but yeah, he gets a bunch of bunch of shit from some gods. Yeah, but harp is what eventually ends up slicing off medusa's head um yes yeah i just had to throw it in there it is just oozing mythology well, and when he gets sword. it isn't he told the sword can cut through anything yes uh if the because in the remake and it's like because in the remake doesn't it like pop open kind of like almost in the like a lightsaber type thing sort of it, so yeah in the remake, when it first shows up, it's just a hilt. And when he, when Perseus picks it up, uh, the blade appears. When anyone else, like a mortal, picks it up, it just comes back into a hilt. So that only he can use it as a sword. Yeah. So. Because we all know lightsabers are awesome. So we've been trying to figure out how to make fantasy lightsabers for a very long time. <laughs> right. Um. Uh, there's also, there's a great robot chicken sketch. Uh, we're giving you this sword that can cut through anything <clears throat> also this shield that can block anything don't get those two close together we're not sure which one trumps the other <laughs> yeah nice so uh, yeah, don't that, have do... much else to say it speaks for itself so John no, why that's don't fine. you <laughs> fire off with your second <laughs> segues beautifully into what was my original number 10 spot but now it's my 11 spot um so, <clears throat> going off the beaten path, this is not exactly what you would think of as a weapon. But when Perseus asks the fates how to kill a titan, they tell him you must only a titan can kill another titan. So his way around this is to take a harp, his awesome sword, uh, and his shiny shield, <clears throat> and cut the head off Medusa. <coughs> Pardon me. Which he then puts in a bag, carries with him, and uses to slay the Kraken. So my number, whatever, uh, 11 pick is the head of Medusa from Clash of the Titans 1981. Yes. Uh, because it's out-of-the-box thinking. Um, you know, kind of ballsy that the, the head still lives, even after it's been severed from the body for many, many days at that point. But uh, yeah. hey, whatever. It's mythology. We're going to go with it. Uh, so yeah, there's this whole big sequence of this giant uh, kraken sea monster coming to shore to destroy this entire city, and he's just like, "Hey, look over here!" And bam, you turn to stone now. Uh, that's the, it's like that's, the neuralizer of the gods. This is the one thing, my one hang-up with the remake, and well, and Clash of the Titans in general is well, especially the remake. They build up the kraken, like they build it up. And it's this epic reveal of the Kraken, and it's on screen for, screen for like what all of like two and a half minutes. Yeah, uh, I don't hate the remake. It's definitely got some issues. Um, they have an awesome redesign of the Kraken, but like you said, you only you know, and they tease it. 
So when you finally get it, you're like, ah, yeah, here we go. And it's on screen for all of, yeah, like maybe three minutes, <coughs> including watching it turn to stone. So Yeah. Yeah. That was a little, you know, we could have had a little bit of destruction before Perseus showed up. Right. Underwhelming. I mean, yeah. the you know, the whole flying the Pegasus, which for some odd reason was black instead of white. So um, it's cooler that way. Apparently. Okay. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> the only thing I didn't like with that is they turn his, his shield into a scorpion scale, which I'm like, all right, cool. But the whole point of the shield is it's shiny like a mirror so I can use it to kill Medusa, which they had to kind of like back themselves into. Oh no, it's a scorpion scale, but it's uh, shiny on the inside. Yeah. Sure. Shiny on the inside. Like, they got so overwhelmed with, oh, dude, that looks so cool, and they forgot, like, the entire purpose of the shield. Right. But there was 100% less Bubo in it, so I'm cool with that. (laughs) Oh, nice. What you got? So, when I think of fantasy weapons, and I think of them being wielded by a fantasy character... Mm Mm-hmm. I'm thinking the first thing that a lot of time pops into my head is just a beefed out, super jacked, muscular guy uh-huh. swinging around a sword and chopping people to pieces. Yeah. Now you think I would be going with, you know, He-Man's sword, but I'm not. My next pick is the Atlantean sword from Conan. Yes. There's just something about Arnold Schwarzenegger wielding that sword. That is probably one of the most iconic movie swords ever. Uh, I love it. Um, just I just imagine I just remember and I can't remember if it's from Conan or from or from the Barbarian or the Destroyer, but where he's just like flinging his sword around like on a beach and like just posing with it that is the barbarian i believe for think of the same scene but uh, so he he finds it in a cave that turns out to be a throne room in a barbarian and when he first finds it it's covered in cobweb and it's got like rust on it and stuff so he takes it and then like beats it against the wall and the rust just falls off of it and it's this, you know, beautiful, immaculate, uh, uh, ornate sword um, with a foregrip on it, which you don't see on a whole lot of swords. Uh, and he uses that through the entire next two movies. Uh, even when he finally finds the sword of his father again, he's like, yeah, no, th- th- yeah, this one's cooler. Um, which I, th- I think the insinuation is it, it was, uh, it's been there since the Kingdom of Atlantis was on land, which is why it's the Atlantean sword. But, uh, but no, that in in the first movie he gets training from a sword master, and that him swinging the sword around scene is him going through like the routine he's taught uh, using his Atlantean sword once he he comes back to life. Spoiler uh, for Conan the Barbarian. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, there's Arnie wielding a sword, um, just badass. He does some work with that sword. Man, he, that, yeah. Uh, what's awesome, so we talked about this a little bit last week, but the John Milius, the director 
uh, and I believe he's credited as writer for the screenplay uh, for the first movie too. He was the guy who who believed in doing everything for real. So most of the time when Arnie is swinging that around, that is that's not like an aluminum stunt blade or something. Like that's a full on spring steel sword um, that Arnie is running around with because it's Arnie. Um, so that makes it that much cooler, you know. It's sort of like uh, like the '66 Batmobile is always like top of the list of cool Batmobiles because they really had to build all those gadgets onto it, like the parachute and the rocket and the oil skids. Like it all, it did all that shit because you know we didn't have CGI to fake it. So yeah, it's yeah. just such a pretty sword. <laughs> One of the most iconic movie swords I can think of, man. It's a solid pick, buddy. All right, what you got, John? Well, look, it's not the size of the sword, right? Oh, um, boy. That doesn't move. If you're going to talk about a muscle-bound guy swinging around a giant sword, um, I'm going to get a little weird. Just follow me on this. Uh, I don't read a lot of manga or manga or whatever the fuck it's called. Yep. yep. Um, those comic books from Japan, I don't read a lot of them. But there's one I love and I'm mildly obsessed with. Um, shout out to Tyler Jones for getting me addicted to it in college. Um, talking about Berserk, the character of Guts. If you don't know the the, the manga, that's fine. I'm going to sum it up for you really quickly. <clears throat> Badass guy known as the Black Swordsman travels the kingdom, slaying monsters and killing demons, trying to get revenge. Uh, upon his friend who has become one of the five uh, of the God Hand demons. So all you need to know is, badass guy, uh, who, uh, and Jay, you'll appreciate this, uh, he loses his left arm uh, below the elbow, and he replaces it with a cannon. (laughs) Uh, But his sword is called the Dragon Slayer. It's called that because the swords, uh, the blacksmith who forged it was tasked by a uh, noble years ago to forge a weapon that could kill a dragon. So the dragon slayer is like eight feet long and like two and a half feet wide. It's this giant crude slab of steel. The, the, the swordsmith was run out of town because, you know, they saw it and they're like, who the fuck can lift that thing? Get the hell out of here. Years later, um, after, you know, Guts had a bad time. I don't want to give away the whole plot of the book. Uh, he meets this guy. This guy nurses him out to health. The guy forges his cannon arm for him. And Guts happens to find this sword. <clears throat> now, Guts spent his whole life as a child soldier. So he was used to using swords, a full-size adult sword, from the time he was, like, six. So he's used to oversized swords. Guts is the only person who can board up, let alone wield it. Uh, so... It's one of those tropes of Japanese, like, manga. You know, the hero with the giant-ass fucking sword that's, like, impractical. And it's like, okay, that looks stupid. Why the hell would you draw that? Who the hell could ever use that? But the writer of Berserk took that and was like, yeah, I get it. It's done a lot. But no one ever really makes any, like, a deal about, hey, my main character has a sword bigger than he is. That's really stupid. So he made it his mission to, I'm not only going to write in that my character has a giant sword, but I'm going to make it make sense. And I'm going to make it badass. And it is. Uh, anytime he uses the sword against people, uh, every time he takes a swing with it, he's never just attacking one person. He's always, like, cutting four people in half with it. Because this thing is giant. It's monstrous. Uh, what makes it badass is 
because Guts is used to using an oversized weapon, it's not he doesn't just like swipe with it. He can actually wield it like it's a sword. He can block, he can parry, he can thrust. Uh, it, it, he's, he's, he's used to using an oversized weapon. So he's, he's, he, with that weapon, is a badass combination. And, and through the, uh, the, the, the manga, he uses it to slay so many demons and monsters that it becomes imbued with sort of magical properties. <clears throat> uh, and it becomes the only weapon that can harm some of the higher level demons because of all the things he's killed with it. Uh, which, I mean, come on, your sword gets stronger the more stuff you kill with it. How awesome is that? Uh, you know, I I looked it up. Yeah. Because <laughs> I wasn't sure. Jesus, that's a big fucking sword. Yeah. I like it. That's, uh, I'm, yeah. You're welcome to borrow those, man. I've got the first, like, 30-something volumes. Um, but uh, warning, before you Google Berserk Manga giant sword uh maybe turn your safe search filter on because berserk is uh not meant for an under 18 crowd <laughs> uh you will get some very interesting uh, uh images pulled up on your your uh your computer maybe don't look it up at work uh, if you're at work um i'm just saying there are some of these volumes where the entire cover image has to be covered up by a mature audiences only sticker because uh, they're that um adult only don't nice. just mean the gore. Great, great lots pick. Of, lots of boobies. But yeah, uh, if you're going to talk about a uh, muscle-bound guy wielding a giant sword, uh, the Dragon Slayer from Berserk. Nice pick. Thank you. Well, you would love that manga, by the way, Jeff. I, I, I have no doubt. <laughs> uh, no doubt. Okay, John, I'm, I'm going to kind of steer us more into this skid. Okay. Uh, now you're going to have to really, really stick with me on this. All okay? right. <clears throat> now, you're talking about slaying demons. Yep. And there's one demon slayer I know who has been, he, I believe, he's gone through all basically three iterations of um, media. From comics to television and a movie. Okay. And what I'm talking about is the movie version. And if you know me, when John does know me, there's nothing I like more than when you can have attachments to the thing that you're carrying. <laughs> Jay's a big fan of modular weapons. <laughs> okay. Um, so stick with me on this one. It's kind of out there. Okay. But I'm talking about the crucifix shotgun with <laughs> dragon's breath in Constantine. Uh, I knew it. <laughs> I'm sorry, but when Keanu Reeves as John Constantine just walks into that room with all those half-breeds and is carrying that shotgun and just pulls the chair up and... God, I can't remember what he says, but it's just one of my favorite parts of that movie. And then he just starts annihilating people. Isn't the shotgun built from a uh, melted down crucifix? It, I don't, it, I don't know, but it's like he has to like put it together because the guy and... he gets it from is his weapons guy, 
if I'm because I haven't watched the movie in way too long, and I need to give it a rewatch. Because mm-hmm. uh, and disclaimer, I don't know anything about Hellblazer that wasn't in an episode of Arrow. Uh, I've never read the characters' comic. I don't know that. I understand Constantine is not a very good uh, adaptation of the Hellblazer comic, but I think me and Jay are on the same page. Is I don't care that movie's awesome anyway. Um, yeah, but yeah, if I remember correctly. I think it's 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 a holy sh- shotgun built from a melted down cross, um, which is why it's golden. And then twelve round drum magazine. Yeah, uh, and then he attaches the, the dragon dragon's fire, breath. Yeah. Dragon's breath. Yeah, to it. <laughs> I love that because the scene where his his guy first shows up and like you know is giving him his his gadgets like his cue moment kind of. Yeah, uh, he pulls out the dragon's breath, and it's in this little like uh, cylinder thing, and he he pulls one a button on it and lifts up as like this giant flamethrower. It's dragon's breath. I thought you couldn't get it anymore. Uh, yeah, it's awesome, dude. Very hard to collect. Uh, you know, it's kind of borderline, but I can I think I can defend it next week. I don't want to get into that this week. Okay, because we're talking about it next week. But there's a lot of heavy theology in Constantine, mm-hmm. and that's what I kind of. I mean, if you're talking, if you're talking like Clash of the Titans is Greek mythology. Okay. To me, Constantine is sort of like Christian mythology. I gotcha. I gotcha. So, but anyway, all right. Holy shotgun with dragon's breath, John Constantine. The name's Constantine. I like John it. John Constantine. All right. Anyway. Um, no, so my next pick, we're not going to stray too far off topic, actually. Um, look, a holy shotgun is awesome, but if you live in a time or an age when firearms haven't really been invented yet, um, if you want to kill some demons and vampires, but you want to keep your distance, one weapon might seem impractical, uh, but if Castlevania has taught me anything, it's that a good whip is all you need. <laughs> oh, so, uh, nice. especially if you've watched the Castlevania Netflix, uh, series, which if you haven't go watch it right now, it's amazing. Uh, I'm talking about the weapon known simply as the vampire killer. That's its fucking name, uh, is a magically enhanced metal chain whip. Uh, that has been, like I said, magically enhanced. It can kill vampires and demons on touch. And in the video games, anyway, it has been uh, it's been passed down from generation to generation through the Belmont clan, who are all monster killers. And it, sort of like Dragon Slayer, uh, has, has been used to kill so many supernatural entities and has been uh, enhanced with uh, magic throughout the years so much that in the games when the Belmonts literally encounter death death incarnate is wounded by this weapon yikes uh hard to get more op than that um it's it's awesome it is it's one of those things where it makes sense in a video game because it gives you some distance uh but then you take it off the video game and you put it into like the the Netflix series and it is one of the most visually 
badass weapons to watch someone use, especially in a cartoon. Uh, the things it's used to do make no sense for the laws of physics, but just like Captain America's shield, I don't care. It looks cool. Um, and, and the scene, especially towards the end of season two of Castlevania, when uh, Trevor Belmont gets his hands on it and they're storming Castle Dracula and you see what a trained Belmont wielding the vampire killer whip can do. Uh, so I would probably hit myself in the head with it because I don't know how to use it. But yeah, yeah. with some training, uh, the vampire killer from Castlevania is definitely on my list. Nice. Uh, well, you know, here's the thing, John. Okay. Not all fantasy weapons are wielded by good people. Oh. Uh, and this one, this has got a lot of power to it. A lot of power to it. In fact, I believe it also has a dark curse, which makes it magical. Uh, what I'm talking about is Maleficent's staff from Ooh. Sleeping Beauty. Okay. Uh, she is... She, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? A sorceress? She's not really a witch. Uh, I got nothing. Anyway, so she, you know, and she uses this staff. She turns herself into a dragon. She creates an entire impenetrable impenetrable wall of thorns. Um, she casts a spell on a uh, uh, a wheel. What's the wheel I'm thinking of? The spindle. The Yeah, spindle, right? Sure. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that's what... That's what does in Princess Aurora and puts her into this sleep. Um, I just think that it's you, you got to include something like this. That's like one of those things that, like, if you're you know a fan of like Diablo, you get that staff and you're like, yeah. Now it's not necessarily Maleficent staff, but like you get certain powers, and just getting this and her power with it is kind of crazy. Um, so I had to include it. She's pretty badass. She's probably one of my favorite villains from Disney movies. Not going to lie. I'll be honest. I think I watched the Sleeping Beauty thing. or It's called Maleficent, isn't it? It's not called Sleeping Beauty, is it? Well, Sleeping Beauty is the original with right. Maleficent in it. Um, right. Maleficent is the one with um, Angelina Jolie. Right. Which I have not actually seen. I'm okay. Just, this okay. is you're talking on the classic one. Yeah, this is classic Maleficent. Gotcha. She's she's a great villain in that movie. She's very creepy. Which actually, she's taken out by a magical sword of its own. So and magical shield. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, have I told you my my Stephen Beauty story? I don't know if you have. So we're gonna get sidetracked for a minute here, but. Uh, my family had one of those like portable TV VCR combo things yep. that we would take on road trips to shut all the kids up while we were driving to Minnesota for Christmas every year. And my sister chose to watch Sleeping Beauty. And I was like, I don't want to watch that. That's stupid. So I decided, whatever, I'm just going to fall asleep. I'm taking that. I, I could have been more than like 10 at this point. Um, so she starts Sleeping Beauty. <clears throat> I take a nap, whatever. I wake up. I don't know what's going on, 
But suddenly, Sleeping Beauty has been replaced with this weird animated movie from Disney where a knight on a horse with a sword and a shield is going up a mountain to fight this giant fire-breathing dragon who's breathing, like, green fire and shit. I'm like, the hell movie is this? This is badass. Uh, <laughs> only uh, my shot to discover, no, John, that's just act three of Sleeping Beauty. I was sort of like, oh, man, they buried the lead on this one. <laughs> uh, nice. Yeah, so, <laughs> act three of Sleeping Beauty for a long time was my favorite Disney movie. Just nice. the third act. Well, just, just, just the third act, act. yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> shout out to Commander Cox for... A tangent, even though he's not here right now. <laughs> Got to get that Cox tangent in. Uh, uh, I think we're on, we're on to you, Jack. We are. So, look, I tried not to just have this be a list of swords Obi-John likes, because it could have easily been that. Um, so I tried to change things up a little bit, tried to not have everything be a sword, but there was no, no avoiding it. <clears throat> There's going to be some swords on this list. And if we're talking fantasy swords, um, you don't get much cooler design-wise than the Lord of the Rings swords. Uh, there's a lot of really cool swords in that collection uh, that could all be on this list because they're all in their own way pretty badass. But there's one... Okay, there's I would like to have. But there's one that I would like so much, I currently have a replica of it hanging on my wall. So uh, and that is... Yeah, <laughs> the sword Glamdring, uh, used by uh, uh, wow, my mind is went blank. Used by Gandalf the Grey, uh, he discovers it in the Hobbit uh, when they find it in the troll stash. Uh, it's also where Orcrist and Sting come from. Uh, we later learn it was forged by elves in the First Age for their war against the goblins. Uh, its name means foe hammer. Um, and it's used by Gandalf to slay the Balrog of Morgoth. And we, as, as I think we've established, killing badass monsters with a sword makes it that much cooler. Um, and there's one thing I have to take up a little, uh, a little miffed at old Peter Jackson for. <clears throat> so in the movies, The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings, Sting has a really cool characteristic that it will glow anytime orcs are nearby in the books that is a a quality of all blades forged by the elves during that age not just sting all of them so glamdring and orcrist should glow when they're near orcs uh the movies for whatever reason decided to make this a thing only sting does i don't know why it's stupid uh uh, and as we've already established, um, medieval versions of lightsabers are awesome. So glamping with a glowing blade, bam, medieval lightsaber. So it's not actually the one I thought you were going to say. <laughs> that one could have been on this list, but I didn't want to be too obvious about my choices. Well, it is on my list. Well, let's talk about it then. Uh, and I had Sting on my list, but I was like, no. No, Sting's cool, but it's just kind of like a little little, little baby sword. <laughs> yeah, unless you get the scaled up version, it's uh, basically a letter opener for us. Right. Uh, so, of course, the sword that I'm referring to that I think is absolutely badass mm -hmm. is the Sword of the King. Um, and I'm going to mm -hmm. butcher the name, but Andrew. I'll you. Andrew. 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 Flame of the West. Uh, 
Who was Bad. Narsil? Sorry. It's all right. I'm just Bad describing ass. the runes now. Sorry. <laughs> it's they reforge it. Um, and then Aragon wields it. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the first time he wields it is in convincing the army of the the dead. Or yeah, is, so okay, yeah, okay, the army of the dead, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. In 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 the movie chronology, um, it's given. To, it's it's reforged back up. First of all, again, killing big things makes swords cooler. Uh, before it was Anduril, it was Narsil, which is the sword of the king. Uh, which, um, um, damn it, pull like that. Uh, Elendil <clears throat> um, picks up his father's broken sword, cuts the fingers off the hand of Sauron, takes the ring from him. Uh, you know, it's the whole prologue thing where, you know, we almost could have destroyed it, but we didn't. Um, the shards of that are picked up off the battlefield and stored at um, Rivendell because of the significance they play. And there's a prophecy kind of about you know, one day the, the the heir of Elendil will come along and the, the, the sword is sort of like a symbol of his lineage of now it's broken, but one day it could be reforged. So when they decide, okay, it's, it's time for Aragorn to uh, shoot it off the pot. It's reforged by the elves uh, and made even cooler because they put the runes down the, um, the um, cut out of the blade which is the first time I'd ever seen that on a sword, and I was instantly like, oh my god, that's badass. Um, it's something you see repeated in a lot of fantasy swords since then, because fucking badass. Ruins on a sword is just badass. But so yeah, the first time after it's given to Aragorn in the movies, the first thing he uses as, as again, as a symbol of his... Uh, reforging the lineage of Elendil is to to get the the ghost army on his side because they swore an oath, I believe, to Elendil, <laughs> which is why they were cursed because they ended up ditching him at the battle. Um, but with that sword and his blood being an heir, he can he can basically uh, call in his his favor from them. Yeah, and it's just awesome awesome to see it in action. Uh, and then the next thing, if you're watching the director's cut, is he uses the Palantir to call out Sauron with it. Uh, he holds it up because he, he, he says he will not have forgotten uh, the sting of this blade, um, which is just a badass move. It's like, hey, I see you sitting in your castle over there with all your orcs thinking you're all badass. Look at what I got. I got the sword that killed you last time. Bring it on, motherfucker. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, dude. Trust me, if I had the money, that'd be hanging on my wall too. I'd, yeah, yeah. Uh, also, if I wasn't, wasn't he supposed to fight like Sauron again? There, but in, then they in, changed it to a troll. Yeah, in in the third act, as originally shot. Um, when things are looking like they're tipping in the favor of the uh, the, the uh, humans, um, as written, Sauron was going to reappear. And they, they had a guy on set in the armor who was like eight feet tall, and they shot this big fight between Aragorn and him because um, they wanted to, to make Sauron a real physical threat, not just like this big eye of flame in the sky. 
and then in the editing room decided yeah that sounded cool it really doesn't work that's really stupid um and then they so not to throw out the entire fight scene that Viggo Mortensen had to train for they CGI'd over the guy in the Sauron armor as the big armored troll that comes out yeah So there you go, back to back Lord of the Rings swords. Oh yeah, uh, what do you got next, John? All right, something completely different, buddy. Uh, And I say that because I don't even know what to describe this weapon as. It defies classification, Uh, but it is the most fantasy of fantasy weapons because if it isn't magical, uh, there's no way this works. Like swords are cool, and even if it doesn't have like you know, if it wasn't forged by elves or has like magical runes on it, like a sword is still a big sharp piece of metal you can use to fight people with. This next weapon, if it isn't magical, there's no fucking way this practically works at all. But because it's magical, it does, and that's why it's on this list. I'm talking about the glaive from Kroll. <laughs> Now, I know a lot of you might not have seen this movie, so let me describe it to you. The Glaive, which can only be called The Glaive, because I don't even know like what category to put this in. It's kind of a ninja star, I guess. <coughs> it's a five-pointed thing. It isn't really a star. It's kind of like a starfish kind of in shape. <clears throat> uh, that's like bronze metal. Um, the, the hero of, of crawl has to go into a mountain to get it. And it like bubbles up in some magma and he's able to hold it cause it's magical and doesn't get hot. Um, <clears throat> but when it's wielded by the right person, blades stick out of the end of it. You can then throw it. Uh, it will hit whatever you threw it at and then return to you with the blades retracted. So you don't cut your hand off. Uh, it can kill uh, in Kroll. Kroll's the movie we talked about last week, where it's, it's literally like a Lord of the Rings fantasy story is happening, and then an alien invasion just crashes into the movie. Um, the the um, I forget what they call the others, the outsiders or whatever. Um, the aliens are really really hard to kill with the weapons available to them, but the glaive can just one shot these motherfuckers. Uh, it also can project energy, and and is kind of sentient maybe. Because, like, you had to be worthy to wield it and shit. Um, but again, in the movie, the glaive is awesome. Uh, Google you, really, you, you will come away from Crawl wishing we used the glaive more. Because it's awesome. That being uh. said, <laughs> if you go out and buy a replica of the glaive, which you can do, um, doesn't quite work so well. The blades don't magically retract when it comes back to your hand. It, it's not like a boomerang. It doesn't like magically circle back around and return to you. It's kind of a uh, one and you're done kind of weapon uh, in real life. Yeah, but definitely Google it. Like Google a picture of it. It's so badass looking. And like the the image that always pops up is the main character. Because I've never seen this movie. But the image that always pops up on Google is the main character, like, sort of holding it backhanded, staring forward, like, look at what I've got. Uh, yep. <laughs> you're just like, what the hell is that thing? But yeah. it, it looks sweet. It looks really sweet. It is like the epitome of a video game weapon put in a movie. <clears throat> um, yeah, you might not enjoy the movie, but you will love the glaive and you'll be like, yeah, it needs more glaive. Needs more glaive. Yep. 
I got a fever and no prescription. It's more glaive. Um, so my, my that's a good pick. I knew you'd pick it Thank too. You. That's the thing. Oh, yeah. you I, knew you, you, I knew you it, would. If we were making a list of cool fantasy weapons and didn't have the glaive on it, the list would automatically be null and void. Yeah. Uh, just like if we're making a list of fantasy weapons and I don't include this next one, I would feel like I didn't complete my list. Okay. Uh, in the new era of fantasy, this fantasy was not necessarily a movie, but more of a series. Uh-huh. And if we just sort of hit the stop button at the end of the last good season <laughs> and ignore it, the end of it, that last other season, which I still have not watched, and I don't even know if I want to. Uh, it's only like six episodes. Watch it. Okay. Um, what I'm talking about is Game of Thrones. <clears throat> and actually, it's a tie for me oh. with, with two different swords. Okay. One of them you will not be surprised about. Okay. So I'm going to start with the surprising pick. Okay. This sword was wielded by what I would consider one of the most unlikely heroes of Game of Thrones. Okay. Uh, also probably one of the most underrated badass characters in that series. Like, don't sell this person short because they're coming to get you. Okay. Oh, they're going to get you. They got revenge on their mind and they're going to get you. Okay. What am I talking about? Arya Stark and Needle. Needle. Ah, fucking love Needle. It's, um... So I, I'm a big fan of Forged in Fire, mm-hmm. and there's actually a name for the sword, but I can't think of it. But it's it's basically a French style sort of fencing sword. It's a rapier. It's it's yeah, it's a type of rapier, but there's a specific name for it. I can't remember. Um, but they it's basically designed for parrying and thrusting. Yeah, it's designed to get underneath armor and in between yeah. the, uh, the kinks in the armor. And let me tell you, Arya Stark, she does a great job wielding that thing. Uh, She holds her own um, against more powerful opponents with bigger weapons and does it just fine. Uh, Maybe I'm misremembering this, but does she not get into a sword fight with the Hound? Not really. Oh, okay. Maybe I'm misremembering it. What? Because I know she hung out with the Hound for a while there. She does. She does. Yeah. Um, uh, but I I love Needle. I think it's yeah. awesome. It's perfect for her. Um, she learns to wield it perfectly. Uh, it's just awesome. Awesome sword. I love it. It is it is a great pairing of character to weapon. Yeah. Um, because their Needle very much reflects the character of Arya. In that it's it's small and you know unassuming and at face value you, you wouldn't think it's very dangerous, but in the right hands it is as lethal as anything else in that entire universe. Um, so yeah, uh, totally. And, and I, I think Arya from day one was one of my favorite characters. So great pick. Um, and dude, if you haven't watched the last season, 
Um, you haven't seen some of Arya's most badass moments, so All go right. watch the I, last season. I will do that. Uh, but Needle tied for me with the other choice, which will be no surprise to you, uh, Longclaw. <laughs> I was going to say, is it also hanging on my wall? Uh, but, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Longclaw's badass, Valerian Steel, uh, Jon Snow, and um, I can't think of his name, but the head of the Night's Watch. Mormont. Yep, had it reworked from a bear into a wolf. Yep, so it, it was originally a a um, family heirloom for House Mormont. Um, so Jorah Mormont technically should have inherited it, but when he lost his lands and was kicked out of Westeros, um, his father, his first time I can't remember, was the, the captain of the Night's Watch, um, just took it with him. Um, and then when Jon Snow saves his life, he has the pommel rewhittled from a bear, which is the symbol of House Mormont, to a wolf. Yep. Uh it's just, it's such a badass sword. <laughs> the thing is awesome. It looks cool. The uh, the Valerian steel, which when you look at it, you know, they're like, ooh, Valerian steel. What it really is is a Damascus pattern. So Damascus right. steel is folded and reforged and folded, and then you just sort of lengthen it out so there's cool patterns in it. Um, yeah, it's a forging technique. It's also superior steel, but there's more yeah. to Valerian steel than just that. Yeah. Well, I'm uh, saying when you look at it, that's right, basically right, right. what it is. Is yeah. But in in universe, Valerian steel is forged using dragon fire, which is why it is exceedingly rare in Westeros at that time because the dragons are pretty much all dead. Uh, yep. That's why they say the the secrets to making it have been lost. Uh, you can you can melt it down and, and reforge Valerian steel. Even that is difficult to do. Um, but that's what gives it the magic properties we find out it has later on of, you know, it can kill White Walkers and Whites. Uh, and and, and it, it could maybe be the only thing that can kill uh, the Night King. Yep. And as we have firmly established, the ability to kill badass opponents makes a weapon more badass. So, yes. Uh, <laughs> I, I had will to... also... Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh. I, I, was, I was like, I just had to include that on here. No. Like, I know we're talking a lot about swords, but... Dude, that's that's one of those things where I wrote it down and then crossed it out. I was like, nope, Jay's going to have that. Like, I know he's going to have that. Yeah, yeah. I want to bandwagon real quick, though. And, and one other uh, shout-out. Needle and Longclaw are awesome, but there is one other blade that I love from this show that, sadly, we don't get to see very much. Um, and I know it would be impractically big and prohibitively expensive, but I would love to have. <clears throat> and that is... The actual Valerian sword of the family uh, of House Stark, the Executioner's sword, Ice. Yes. Which we only really see in season one at the beginning when Ned Stark uh, kills some people. And then uh, I think he takes it with him <coughs> when he goes to King's Landing. And then I don't think we see it again until like season four or five when that asshole... Um, um, 
how I forget all the houses now. It's been so long since I've watched Game of Thrones. Uh, uh, Papa Lannister, whose name I forget. Tywin? Yeah, yeah, Tywin Lannister has ice melted down and uses it to make a sword for Jamie and for that pissant who shall not be named. Um, yeah. 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 Because they chop off uh, Ned Stark's head with it. That's right. We do see it at the end of season one. You're right. You're right. Yeah. Because then is it in season two when it's melted down? I thought it was later than that, but maybe it was. Yeah. But now uh, it's melted down to make uh, what's called Widow's Whale, which is what Joffrey names is because he's a little shit. And then um, he gives one to Jamie, but Jamie can't fight. So Jamie re gifts it to uh, um, not Tariel. Uh, God damn, I forget everyone's name on that show. The uh, big lady. <clears throat> she has a name though. Uh fuck. Uh Captain Phasma. Yeah. Gives it to Captain Phasma. She <laughs> names it Oathkeeper. Uh, God, yeah, what the I, hell? Bri- uh Bri- Brienne. Brienne. Yeah, Brienne. Brienne. There we go. Yeah. yeah. We know what we're talking about, see? Yeah. Yeah, we're nerds. Yeah. <laughs> uh but yeah, any Valerian sword is badass. Yes, for sure. Uh so I think we're back to you now. All right, then. We're not going to stray far off the topic. Like I said, this could just be a list of swords that are cool. Uh, but fantasy weapons tend to be badass swords. Oh, deal with it. Uh, Jay, if I said the words to you, <clears throat> by the power of Skull, how would you finish that? I have the power. Okay, lighting didn't crash. I'm just making sure. Uh, yeah, I'm, of course, talking about uh, the Sword of Power, a.k.a. the Power Sword, a.k.a. the Sword of Grayskull, uh, He-Man's trusty blade through comics and cartoons and the Lo- Dolph Lundgren movie that I'm a fan of. Um, the mythology on this changes a bit depending on what source you go to, but essentially, <clears throat> uh, for the cartoon, which I think we're going off of because that's what most of us remember, um, the sword is sort of the, the symbol of He-Man and Prince Adam's connection to Grayskull uh, and the power of Grayskull. It's what Prince Adam uses to transform into He-Man. It's also what turns Cringer into Battle Cat. Um, it's an interesting looking design. Uh, you can tell it's definitely it was a toy first and then we made it into a sword. <coughs> um, but it's very unique design. Uh, it doesn't appear to have any uh, ornamentation. It appears to be made of one giant piece of metal. Um, but it's badass. Uh, and it has a twin uh, in, in some universes. There's a light side to it and a dark side to it. Uh, there's also a, a like sister sword. That's the... Ah, uh, crap. I didn't write it down. It's, not the, it's the sword of truth, I think. Um, that is used to turn uh, Aurora into uh shira i think her name is aurora i don't remember it turns shira into shira i I didn't watch shira i'm sorry uh which is the exact same sword with a jewel in the middle of it because it's for girls so put a shiny thing on it i guess was what they were going for um but yeah it's awesome and and the only thing cooler than weapons used to kill big monsters are weapons with the magic ability to give you more powers yep so, sword of power. Nice. Nice pick. Thank you. Uh, John, 
Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt. His name's my name too. I'm gonna apologize. Uh oh. I'm gonna apologize because I'm not gonna do this pick justice. Okay. But I'm gonna throw it on here because it probably was on your list, and if it's not on your list, you're probably gonna yell at me. Okay. okay. But uh, only he who is worthy can wield this one. Okay. <laughs> now I'm ready to swoop in and correct you on this now. Fucking <clears throat> <laughs> homework. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was just trying to tease it. Uh, my next pick is uh, Mjolnir from Thor. Thank you for pronouncing it correctly. I know how to pronounce it correctly, Mjolnir. Thank you. Um, but I misquoted the. I, I'm not sure what. Well, you you were paraphrasing, says. so I let yeah. that one go. Uh, uh, the inscription it, is he. Uh, sorry, Lon. <laughs> if he be whoever so wields this hammer, if he be worthy, shall possess the power of Thor, which has later been changed to whoever so wields this hammer, if they be worthy, because you know he was a little uh, sexist. Yep. Uh, so there's nothing more badass than a giant war hammer, basically. And it's not giant. I mean, it's one handed pretty well, much. That's the fun thing about being on there is, yeah, it's a giant fucking hammer. Uh, that's an impractical hammer with an impractically short handle. Uh, there's a whole myth about why the handle is so short. <clears throat> um, and this is the fun thing about Mjolnir is you can go Mjolnir from mythology and you can go what I think most people will think of, which is Mjolnir from Marvel Comics, which kind of took that, used it as a backstory and ran with it. Uh, the whole inscription thing, that is purely from Marvel Comics. That's not from mythology. Um, but the the handle's definitely way too short for as big of a head as that is. Yeah. But it's magical and wielded by the gods, so shut up and go with it. And it's incredibly well-balanced, according to uh, Vision. Well, if it's too heavy, you lose power this way. <laughs> uh, I, I love it because, like, he, Thor channels lightning through it. Um, he uses it to fly. He swings it around and then throws it and then hangs on to it as it flies through the air. Uh, <laughs> you're just kind of like, okay. He pulls him right, off, right. yeah. You know? Um, he hits people with it. He holds down foes with it. Uh, I love the scene where he puts it on Loki's chest. <laughs> <laughs> Loki can't get up because only Thor, at that time, only Thor was able to lift Mjolnir. Um, it gets destroyed by his evil sister. Really? And... You're going to bring that up? Really? Okay, it's fine. It's whatever. <laughs> and I'm Too sure soon, many... bro. Too soon, okay? Many many a tear were shed for Mjolnir. However, Very he... Very special relationship with Hammer and that losing it, tantamount to losing a loved one. <laughs> he, uh, he does get Stormbreaker, though. Um, which is not... Which, you know, it's and it's hilarious in... Um, uh, I'm having a brain fart. Not Infinity War. Endgame. Endgame. Yeah. Endgame when Captain America and Thor are each wielding it and Thor turns and says, no, give me the big one. <laughs> Just take Stormbreaker back. Give me that. Take the little one. Uh, also, when Steve wields Mjolnir and Thor just starts screaming, I knew it. Uh, 
hilarious. But you, I, w- I would have been remiss. I'm a math teacher. I think that's the word. I would have been remiss if I had not uh, included Mjolnir on this list. I'm sure Mjolnir was on your list. I don't know why you'd say that. Uh, I'm sorry if I stole it. No, dude, but... hey, hey, there's no stealing on this list. There's just two like-minded friends thinking, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, so, feel, no, free not... to, feel free to pile on anything I missed with me Of course, because this was number one on my list. Uh, right. Because if I can only have one fantasy weapon. Let's go through, again, let's look at all the things that were cool, right? <clears throat> um, um, Anduril's cool because it has runes and on it, right? Yep. Guess what has runes on it? Mjolnir. Mjolnir. Uh, anything used to kill a giant monsters is awesome. Guess what Mjolnir does? Pretty much exclusively. Slays frost giants, trolls. Uh, for going into the comics and the, the mythology, you know, that slays the world serpent. Um, uh, countless dragons and shit. Um, so, hey, check that right off the list. Uh, it gives you more powers in the Marvel Universe. Whoever is worthy to wield it, because uh, there's also... I'll put the other big difference between lifting Mjolnir and wielding Mjolnir. Um, <clears throat> if you can wield Mjolnir, you wield the power of Thor, which, again, it makes you a god. So it, it checks off everything on the list of awesome uh, uh, fantasy weapons. It even has the thing the glaive does, which, again, and this is an enchantment put on the hammer. You throw it, and it comes back to your hand when you call upon it. Uh, it, it checks off. <laughs> Every list for what makes a cool fantasy weapon. <laughs> Sorry, uh, when you said it comes to you, I just got that image again from Endgame of Thor standing there calling for Mjolnir and his mother going, just give him a minute. <laughs> sometimes it takes <laughs> I love that moment when it comes back to him. It's a brief moment, but they, they, they pause on him and he just has, you know, because at that point he's Lebowski Thor and his life has literally gone through the shitter and he's lost everything and everyone he ever cared about. Uh, you know, his mom's dead, his dad's dead, his brother's dead, his best friend's dead, his land is destroyed. Uh, he failed to kill uh, uh, Thanos and get revenge and save the universe. He's kind of at a low point. Let himself go a little bit. Um, but uh, it comes back to him, and he has that moment where he just, he just looks dead to camera and goes, I'm still worthy. Uh, I love that moment because that is like, that's that's awesome. Um, because again, the hammer is kind of sentient in that it, it, it's because people debate, you know, well, who's worthy? How do you determine who's worthy? It's like, well, the hammer will tell you who's worthy, um, as we learned in the comics. So, the, 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 the origin of Mjolnir it's forged by Eitri the elf in the heart of a dying star. <clears throat> that alone is badass. Um, <laughs> it's, it's been given multiple enchantments over the, the centuries and eons. Uh, coming back to the person who calls it, wielding the power of Thor, that kind of thing. Some of them have come and gone. It's been destroyed and reforged multiple times in the comics because um, you can't keep a good hammer down. Uh, it's made from the mythical metal of Uru. Um, it's badass. Uh, I forget where I was yeah. going with that whole thing. I just got talking about me only, and I, I could do that all day. You just uh, kind of blacked I, out for a second. <laughs> I had a point, and then I started talking, and I was like, I forgot where I was going with it. Uh, yeah, Mjolnir is awesome. I'm trying to remember what the point I was trying to make was. <laughs> uh, it's awesome. Again, it's, it's awesome yeah, 
And it's it's one of those things where you know I love it. And most you say me only, and most people will go directly to Marvel Comics, and I totally get that, uh, especially in the age we live in now. But there's also there's me only from mythology, which is slightly different. Definitely has a different look to it. Um, so it's it's one of those things where it's it's not just from comic books or movies. It is straight out of Norse mythology, and there are not a lot of weapons that are you know specifically named you know like Zeus and lightning bolts. Uh, but Norse mythology will give you plenty of specifically named weapons because, you know, Norse mythology is in uh, Norse culture is all about weapons. You know, uh, uh, Loki or sorry, Odin has Gungnir, uh, the spear. Uh, there's uh, um, the sword of Sigurd, which I forget the name of. But, uh, you know, it's all about weapons, <clears throat> which is why I love it. Uh, Have I mentioned sometimes I start talking and forget about what's going on. It's, a, it's all right. Sorry. Yeah, Mjolnir is awesome. Um, it checks off everything on the list of, of what makes an awesome fantasy weapon, and it definitely is another one of those. If it isn't on your list, your list is null and void. <laughs> yeah. Uh, do you have another one you want to go with, or are we gonna go back to me since we both sort of tagged I've got, Mjolnir? I've got. I have two more on my list we haven't mentioned, but I don't. You can go ahead and do. I don't care. Well, I also have. Well, I have one more okay legitimate one but i also have one that i wanted to bring up because we were talking about sting okay uh and you know there's i'm sure well i'm not sure but i had a feeling this that something would be on your list from the same legend so okay. i'm kind of going a different direction with it you've okay. got you know you've got arthur king of the yes. britons with the Britons leads leads by example, uh-huh. you know, run away, run away. Uh, they brave, need to brave, defeat brave, brave Sir Robin. They need to defeat their foes. Unfortunately, one foe is very difficult to defeat. Now, a holy shotgun is awesome, but what's better than a holy shotgun? A holy hand grenade. Oh, uh, there it is. So, the holy hand grenade of Antioch, <laughs> with its uh, reading that goes with it from um, Brother Maynard. No, Brother. Oh, God, I can't think of his name. Well, where they start talking about f- feasting on breakfast cereals and orangutans. Yes. <laughs> we count to three. Not two, unless proceeding to three. Four is too much. And five is right out. Uh, and then you hurl it towards your foe. <laughs> uh, but I, I had to include it. I had to add. No, dude, that's... Good pick. Uh, very proud of that one, buddy. Uh, it's it's so great. That movie in general is just great. Is it is it fantasy? Sure. Is more comedy. But... Hey, we never said fantasy couldn't be comedy. True. So uh, the holy hand grenade of Antioch. Totally, <laughs> totally viable choice. Uh, all right, what you got? Okay. Um, now it's me, and the only thing I maybe love more than swords is some good archery shooting. Ooh. And if we're gonna talk fantasy and archery. This is kind of little known because this movie was kind of a blip on the radar. 
But there exists a bow forged by the gods, uh, which imbues its user with a godly aim. All you have to do is pull back on the bowstring and an arrow of light will magically appear as you pull it back. Uh, this arrow will hit its, uh, its target with a giant concussive force. And you can generate arrows as fast as you can pull and release the string. From the movie Immortals, if you forgot about it, don't worry. It's that Henry Cavill mythology movie from before he was talking about the Epirus bow. Nice. The movie is weird. But not not bad, just weird. It's got a very unique uh, uh, visual style and uh, uh, design aesthetic. Um, maybe not for everyone, but the Epirus bow is friggin' badass, man. Uh, like, if you're designing a fantasy bow, like, yep, that's what you do. Uh, endless amount of arrows. They're magical light. Like, literally, they're made of light. Uh, and they, they hit their target. Like, literally... The bad guy uses it at the at one point in the movie with one arrow, destroys an entire wall of a walled city, just blows it to smithereens so his army Jeez. can rush in. Like it's, it's that OP. Uh, when our hero gets his hands on it, uh, he knocks and fires three rounds in like a second uh, <clears throat> and then uh, hits all his targets directly to a wall with it. It's, uh, it's, it's everything you'd want from a magical fantasy bow. Nice. Thank you. I I have to I want to check out that movie. I haven't seen it. I was interested in it when it came out, um, but I never got a chance to see it. So. <clears throat> Again, it's not a bad movie. It's just the the um, uh, production design is a little weird. It's not quite what you expect. It's it's they wanted the whole movie to look like it was like a a, a vase painting come to life kind of thing. So once you kind of get your head wrapped around that design aesthetic, you can go with it. Uh, but it's got a great cast and some cool action scenes, which, I mean, that's really all you want. So, Right. Well, that brings me to my last pick. All right. My number one pick for a fantasy weapon. Okay. Like you said, fantasy weapons, what do you want? You want it to kind of give you more power? Right? Uh-huh. You want it to be able to take down large things. Mm-hmm. Like, it gets cooler with the things that it destroys. Uh, it's kind of got some mythology to it. Maybe a little mysterious backstory of where it really came from. Uh, and then the coolest thing about a fantasy weapon, or uncoolest, is that sometimes you have to defeat the person that wields it in order to get it for yourself. What I'm talking about. Very intrigued. Is the elder wand from Harry Potter. Nice. Uh, It is. Let's see of the ones that I know it's wielded by Grindelwald. Uh, It's wielded by Dumbledore. Uh, then Voldemort, and then Harry, but Harry never actually uses it. Um, unfortunate that he doesn't use it. 
or at least keep it. I mean, I understand why he didn't, but uh, I don't. I was dumb, Harry. Should have kept it, man. That thing was awesome. It's aesthetically, it's pretty awesome looking. It kind of looks like a bony skeleton finger. That's the way I think of it when I look at it, uh, with those little orbs on it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's extremely powerful when wielded. I mean, it's wielded by some of the most powerful wizards in the Harry Potter realm, the Harry Potter universe. Uh, but Harry ends up taking down Voldemort, which is pretty badass. Uh, it's just an awesome thing. And I know it's one of those things as like a tool to the person who wields it. And like, that's more the power sort of like Gandalf's staff, but it's still a very powerful fantasy weapon. Created by death itself. Yes. Um, I could have put the... all, I could have put all the Deathly Hallows on there, mm-hmm. um, but I figured that the one that actually is used for its intended per, like it's a wand, you know what I mean? That's what wizards use. So I had to put that one on there. It's just badass. Made of elder wood, fifteen inches long, with a thestral hair core. No, dude. Um, awesome pick. And, uh, you know, I'll be honest. I was late to the game on the Harry Potter fandom. Um, I was anti-Harry Potter until my wife took me to Harry Potter World at Universal. And I was like, no, this shit's awesome. I was wrong. Um, and one of the things I quickly latched on to, no surprise, was wand lore. Um, because I love what Rowling did with the mythology of wands. In Harry Potter, because it's it's one of those things that's so stereotypical of like the you know the wizard with the giant white beard and the pointy hat and the 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 big cloak and the pointy little wand like it's so on the nose. But she took that and turned it into like this whole cool thing of the wand chooses the wizard. Uh, no two wands are exactly the same. You'll never get better results with another wizard's wand. Uh, the wood it's made from, uh, the, the, every wand has some kind of magical item in the core, whether it's, you know, Phoenix feather, uh, dragon harp string, whatever it happens to be. Uh, like she took what was like a really dumb stereotypical thing of wizards and like reinvented it. It's like, no, that's fucking badass. Um, yeah. Like you, yeah. Sorry. Like you, I was late to the fandom. Um, when we, when we shut down for, covid at school last year in march uh i found myself with a lot of free time because i couldn't go anywhere couldn't do anything um and one thing i hadn't done was seen all of the harry potters so i binge watched i mean like all of them in a row as fast as i could and i just i was like wow what 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 the hell was younger me thinking not liking this like I had a weird sort of anti-Harry Potter thing going on. I had only seen the first movie, which by all accounts is not a very action-packed movie. Um, It's definitely made for little kids. When Harry Potter got popular in the States, uh, Jay, you and I were of an age where anything written for kids 
we were at that age where it's like we're kind of above that. Like, fuck yeah, that, it's for kids. <clears throat> um, thankfully, we came full circle on that. Yeah, because no, it's definitely not just for kids. Uh, and it, 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 the books may have started that way, but uh, as anyone who's a fan will tell you, by the time we get to the end, like, nope, that is not a kids book. Yeah, uh, in so many ways, that is not a kids book. Um, but really great, you know, universe to dive into and and. Again, uh, no surprise. The thing I latched onto was, you know, okay, what are the weapons in this universe? Yeah, that's badass. I'll take that. Yeah. Uh, so the the Elder Wand was my number one pick for fantasy weapons. Solid pick, man. Yeah. Um, no, when you gave me a, a cool coffee table book, that's um, it's called. I think it's called Wand Lore, where it's it's pictures and write ups of like every wand from the movies and the books and stuff. It's pretty awesome. Nice. Um, because, yeah, I was a little obsessed with that at one point. It's not like I have, like, eight wands mounted to a wall somewhere in my apartment. Yeah. Uh-huh. Totally. Mm-hmm. totally. Yep. Sure. I think, I think we only have six, so. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I only own, like, four of them, so. Yeah, yeah uh, great pick, dude. Um, I'm really glad you put that on there because I would feel like a dick if we didn't include that. And I definitely did not have that on my list. So yeah, it was, it was like one of the first things that popped into my head. I was like, ah, fucking elder wand. Yes. Ah. It's our better together. Um, all right. My number one pick now, um, <laughs> it got elevated. <laughs> and honestly, no, this is one of, uh, that's a great segue. Um, Harry Potter was a huge cultural thing. Uh, you know, it took pop culture by storm. And and there were a lot of people trying to kind of copy that Harry Potter thing and write its coattails and sort of be the next Harry Potter. And there's there's one book series that I latched on to only because I happened to be at a bookstore when the fifth book came out and thought the cover art looked badass. And I was like, what the hell is this? Uh, so I think for like my birthday or Christmas one year, uh, I got the first three books in a set and tore through them all in a week, which, you know, me, I am not a fast reader at all. Uh, my ADHD kicks in and I cannot hold still. Um, but, uh, lucky for me, the main character in the series is also ADHD and they were written for 13 year olds who have ADHD. So it was right up my alley. Uh, I'm talking about Percy Jackson and the which is one of the most underrated fantasy uh, series. If you haven't read them, if you're a Harry Potter fan, give them a try. Um, to do them a great discredit, I will describe them as their Harry Potter only substitute Greek mythology for magic. Um, our main character, Percy Jackson, finds out on his, I think it's his 13th birthday, um, that he is actually a demigod. Uh, his father, who he's never known, was one of the gods, the Greek gods. Um, I won't spoil who it is, but if you take two seconds to look it up, you'll learn who his dad is. But anyway, um, he ends up going to a summer camp for other demigods where they learn skills they will need to survive in the mortal world. Because even though they live in the mortal world, uh, monsters and gods are all still among us. And because they're demigods, they are basically walking targets. Uh, people who are, you know, monsters in, in, in ne'er-do-wells who want to get at the gods will take out the children of their gods. So they go to this summer camp called Camp Half-Blood to train to learn things like riding a pegasus, sword fighting, um, how to kill monsters, 
practical things they'll need in the world of mortals uh, because they're always going to have a target on their back. Um, I instantly fell in love with this entire series. The movies are god-awful. Please, please do not watch the movies. If you've already watched the movies, please forget them and just go read the books. If you haven't done either, forget there's movies at all. Just read the books. There are a million times better. Uh, but that was all to set up. Uh, Percy is given one of what I think is the coolest weapons in mythology or, or fantasy. Um, surprise, surprise. <clears throat> it's a magical sword with runes on it. Well, not runes, but with writing on it. Uh, it's called, I'm going to mispronounce this. I'm sorry if you speak Greek. I don't. And Anakia, hold on. I'm going to get, I'm going to get. Anaklusmos, which is Greek for Riptide, uh, which is what Percy calls it. Thank God, because I cannot pronounce his real name, but it's called a Riptide. It's a sword made by Hephaestus made of uh, celestial bronze, which is a magical uh, material that can only affect um, people with magic blood in them. So basically only people who are demigods, monsters, creatures from mythology does not affect mortals at all. So if you swing at somebody who's a mortal, the blade will just go right through them. Uh, it's, it's called Riptide. Um, the coolest thing about this sword, it, it's a cool magical sword made of celestial bronze. That enough is, is you know enough to warrant being on this list. Percy uses it to slay lots of monsters throughout the 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 um, the series. What's awesome about this? Two things. Number one, uh, it was crafted by Hephaestus, and Hephaestus understands that you can't walk around in modern society with a three foot bronze sword on you. I don't know why, but you just can't. People frown on that. So. The sword was built to be magically disguised. It looks like an average disposable capped pen until you take the cap off, like unsheathing a sword, it then turns into Riptide. You put the cap back to it, turns back into a pen. So you can just walk around with it like you got a pen. I know what you're thinking. Yeah, but John, I lose pens all the time. Don't worry. Got you covered. That I mentioned was made by the gods. If you ever lose it, it will reappear in your pocket uh, a certain amount of time later. And that time kind of changes depending on the plot of the story. Uh, but it will always reappear on your per, uh, in your pocket. You can never lose it. For someone like me, that is a really good quality to have in a magical weapon. Okay, uh, here, you, here you go, John. Okay. Anaklusmus. Yeah, it's totally what I said. Anaklusmus. Yeah, Anaksunamun. I totally said that. Yep. <laughs> Anaksunamun. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I love the Percy Jackson series. If you haven't read it, please give it a read. It, again, they're written for 13-year-olds, so they're a pretty quick read. Uh, at this point, I think we're on to... There's two entirely different like sets of books. There's Percy Jackson and the Olympians, which is a five-book series. <clears throat> there's a second series, which is Heroes of Olympus, where, spoiler, uh, you find out that in addition to the camp that exists for the children of Greek gods, there's also a camp for the children of Roman gods. <laughs> Shit gets crazy from there. Uh, that's another five-book series. Uh, he just also finished a, I think it's a trilogy of books based on Norse mythology that also exists in the same world as Percy Jackson. So <clears throat> if you like it, there's tons for you to digest. 
Uh, and it did, thank God, just get picked up. Um, they're currently developing, and by they I mean um, Rick Gordon, the author of the book series, is currently developing a series for Disney Plus. So it might get a second, very much needed readaptation because um, the first two movies are varying degrees of terrible. Um, but there you go. For practical reasons, my number one pick is Riptide, the Sword of Percy Jackson. Not uh, not surprised by that pick whatsoever. Um, yeah. Is that the one you thought I was going to steal from you? There were some I thought you were going to steal from me. <laughs> uh, I thought you'd go uh, ahead of Medusa. And what else? Uh, Sword of Power I thought you were going to take too. But... Um, surprised that uh-huh. neither of us had Excalibur on our list. Well, here's the thing. Excalibur is cool, but give me one definitive that's badass version of Excalibur. Every book, comic, video game, TV series, movie that does Excalibur redesigns the sword. And I've yet to see a design for Excalibur. I'm like, that's awesome. Like, it's kind of more of an intangible thing. Ah, oh, damn it, John. What? Damn it. What? Can I have one honorable mention? Yeah, it's your dude, it's our list. We can whatever. It's the top thirteen list. It's whatever the fuck you wanted to be, Jay. I just it just popped into my head. Just popped in there? The Samaritan. What, Jay? What just popped in there? The Samaritan from Hellboy. No, it doesn't count as a fantasy weapon. Ah. Oh. Draw the line there. Damn. All right. I'll let you push it with the Hellfire shotgun. It just popped into my head. I'm sorry. It's. No, it's cool. And if we're just talking movie weapons or conflict weapons or whatever, fictional weapons, sure, it should go on there. You know, right by like Han Solo's DL 44 and Robocop's, uh, uh, um, whatever it's called, Auto 9 or whatever they called it, or a Star Trek phaser. Like, those are all cool weapons. Those are not fantasy weapons. All right, all right. I'll give it to you. I was just thinking with all the weird mythology around it and his, not around it, but the fact that it, he shoots those special bullets with, like, holy water and cloves of garlic and stuff. Again, cool weapon, but, like, I didn't put Blade's sword on here because it's cool, but it's not really a fantasy weapon. You're right. You're right. I'm sorry. Sorry, okay. I failed. Hey, look, in October, we'll do a list of coolest weapons to use to kill monsters, and we'll put the Samaritan right on top. Oh, nice. Spoiler for episode in October, apparently. <laughs> Everybody forget I said that. Forget I said that between now and October. <laughs> They'll be like, what? What in October? Uh, all right. Well, I'd say that's a pretty healthy list. I, I think we got... Uh... I think we got a pretty good list there. I mean, it's uh, again, we try to be diverse. We try not to have it just be a list of cool swords because we could have done that too. But, uh, you know, <clears throat> you got your, your dragons on there. You got your glaives, which just defies classification. It just is the glaive. Yep. Uh, you got lots of swords, some shields, you got a bow, uh, <laughs> a lot more swords. Uh, <laughs> a hammer. You're goddamn right, a hammer. Uh, give me this weapons room. I want this closet somewhere. Oh, dude, I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Oh, but there you go. That is our list of our favorite 
weapons from fantasy genre. Uh, let us know what you think of our list. We think it's pretty good, but I'm sure we're forgetting something. So let us know in the comments. What did we overlook? What did we miss? Um, do you remember what I was trying to say about Mjolnir when I went off on a weird tangent? Please remind <laughs> me because I still don't remember. Uh, but if you do, <laughs> let me know in the comments. Uh, thank you for listening. Thank you for sticking with us. Uh, the Doc, thank you for being with me on this one. Hey, no problem. Nobody else I'd rather have to do a list of cool weapons with than the Doc. Oh, uh, yeah, for sure. The conversation uh, in basements have started this way. But uh, until next time, this has been your weekly Nerd Alert. What's up? My name is Adam, Prince of Eternia. I got a pretty busy schedule, sorry if I ain't heard of ya. Defending secrets is my mission, you see? I got a cat that's a bit of a coward, seriously. Fabulous powers were revealed to me. The day I held my sword aloft and started to speak by the power of Grayskull, I became a new guy. Lightning covered my body and I kissed Adam goodbye. Battle cap on my side, I have the power. Now I'm He-Man, D-Man over competition, I cower like a monolith. Orcos a klutz, he's always causing shitty memes. Well, so does the team, hell, we promise this. Skeletor's gonna lose, it don't matter how many times he tries, bring all his dudes. They're just fools, designed to be mistreated. In many different fun ways, they'll all be defeated, I mean it. His guardians are cut above the rest, he Protected Eternia while they slap me He's capable of holding back the forces of the day And transforming back to Adam right after foiling their plan To spread the lightning touch his blade Always hanging out at Castle Brain Secure the power, hold the sword towards the sky It's masters of the universe, evil, you better fly